Hey, online church family. We're so glad that you've joined us today. My name is Dan Lidstone, and I'm the creative pastor here at Connection Point. Well, we've been in a series called Greater Things, and in that series, our pastor, John Dickerson, has laid out a vision for where our church is going over the next two years. Here's the exciting part. A huge part of that vision involves you, our online family. All across the United States, we're seeing these digital hotspots popping up in different areas, but we see God especially energizing the Chicagoland area. Every week, we have over 600 people that join us just from the Chicagoland area. So we need to hear from you. We don't quite know who you are, but we would love to hear from you. So do us a favor, text the word Chicago to 317-350-1996. Just text us, we'll be in touch with you because we have some special things planned for you. Listen, if you're joining us from another area of the country, we still love you, we're still interested in hearing from you, and you can do this. You can fill out a connection card during the service today. Well, we're so glad that you've joined us today. We can't wait to see what God does. We believe he's gonna do greater things, and we're so glad that you're with us in that vision. It's always so good to be with you at Connection Point, and I'm so glad that you're here today to hear this message from God's Word. We're in a series called Heroes, so as a guest speaker, they told me, it's easy, just pick your favorite Bible character and just talk about that. But, you know, sometimes that's really harder than you might think to narrow it all down to your one favorite Bible character. Most of us have a favorite something. We have a favorite pizza, a favorite football team, a favorite season of the year. My wife even has a favorite pillow. It's one of those called my pillow. I, I think that's kind of possessive sounding, don't you think? So I have a confession to make. I stole my wife's pillow. So now her my pillow is actually my pillow. We all have favorite things, but I actually researched it. There are over a thousand individual names mentioned in the Bible. So out of all those people, other than the obvious one, Jesus, who do you pick to say, that's the hero I want to talk about? And what does it really mean to be a hero? What makes someone a hero anyway? Some would say that the acrobats Nick Walenda and his sister Liana are heroes. A couple of weeks ago, they walked across a high wire above Times Square in New York City. This was nationally televised live as they walked across this wire. You know, that, that's heroic, I guess, in a way, but I can't really relate to that because I'm never going to walk on a tightrope like that. The astronaut Neil Armstrong is a genuine hero. Fifty years ago, this very week, he was the first man to ever walk on the moon. But I can't totally relate to that because I will never walk in outer space. What heroes can you and I really relate to? Well, there's this. <laughs> and if you like Greek food, there's this. <laughs> but the fact is, God doesn't call us to be supermen. What he does do is say, you can be an everyday hero. Everyday heroes are imperfect people who follow a perfect Lord. You can do that. And you know what? I know people who do that. I know a lot of people by that definition who are heroes. There are the soldiers who risk their lives to protect our liberty. There are the nurses who work long hours caring for the sick. There are the police and firefighters who run toward danger, not away from it. 
There are the missionaries who leave home to go and serve the Lord in difficult fields. There are the teachers who guide our kids. There are the families who care for loved ones with Alzheimer's disease. These are true heroes. My son Matt is an everyday hero. He was born with cerebral palsy, but today he ministers with an inner city church and he leads weekly Bible studies with prisoners in a county jail. That's heroic to me. 1 Peter 2.21 says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Listen, following in the footsteps of Jesus makes somebody heroic. Now, following in footsteps of the Lord? I remember when my kids were little, once in a while they would walk into the living room wearing my shoes. They'd go in and find them in my closet, you know, and they'd come out. Their feet were so tiny, wearing my great big shoes. It looked kind of funny for them, these little guys, to think that they could wear my big shoes. Or in the winter, when it was snowing, I would go out and my big boot prints, you know, would make great big prints in the snow. And then my kids would walk along and try to follow in my big footprints. That's how I feel when I'm called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, because his feet, his footprints are so big and so glorious, and my feet seem so tiny compared to his. But this is what we're called to do, to be imperfect people following a perfect Lord. So the hero I decided to focus on is the very person who wrote those words about following in the footsteps of Jesus. I'm talking about a real-world hero called Simon Peter. Now, Peter is a prominent person in the Bible. Simon Peter, his name appears more than 200 times in the New Testament, more than any other apostle's names. The names of the 12 apostles appear four times in the New Testament where there are lists of the 12 names, and Peter's the first one listed every single time. So there's something very prominent and important about this guy. By the way, Simon is not his first name and Peter is his last name. Simon is his Hebrew name and Peter is more of a Greek name. And so we can refer to him either way. But he's an unlikely hero because he was impatient, he was impulsive, and he made a lot of mistakes. In fact, from what you know about Peter's personality, would you have hired him to serve on our church staff? Would you have even wanted him to be your next door neighbor? Now from the Bible, we know some good things about him. We know that he was a family man, for example. He was a family man. His brother, Andrew, was the one who introduced him to Jesus. By the way, we don't know a lot about Andrew in the Bible but we owe him a lot because if he had never introduced his brother, Simon Peter, to Jesus, the world would have been a lot poorer for it. So this guy who kind of quietly, the main thing he did was introduce his brother to Christ, made a great contribution to the world. So we know that Peter had a brother named Andrew. We also know he had a wife. There was a Mrs. Simon Peter out there. We don't know her name, but the Bible says in Mark chapter 1 that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, who was sick with a fever. He raised her up, and she served the disciples and served Jesus. Now, you only get a mother-in-law by getting married. So, Peter was married. I wish we knew more about her. 1 Corinthians 9, 5 says that Peter took his wife with him on preaching trips, on mission trips. So, he had a wife who accompanied him. What was it like to be Mrs. Simon Peter? Can't have been an easy thing, based on what we know about his personality. So he was a family man. We also know that Peter made his living as a fisherman. In fact, some of the greatest stories, the best known stories about Peter in the New Testament are ones that talk about him with fishing. One time in Luke chapter 5, 
Peter was cleaning his nets beside the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus sat down in the boat and was teaching the crowd. Can you picture this? Jesus sitting in the boat, the people up on the shore listening to him. Now, by the way, you know, we today, when we speak, we have these fancy microphones that amplify our voice. They didn't have that in the first century. But did you ever walk alongside a lake or sit down on a boat by a lake? It naturally, the smooth surface of the water naturally amplifies your voice. Christ created that, so he knew how it worked. And he sat there in a boat, and his voice would project up off the water and be heard by a large crowd there. And so he's teaching the crowd, and then he turns to Peter, who's listening, but also cleaning his fisherman's nets, and he says, Peter, go out into the deep water and put down your nets for a catch. Now, Peter hesitates, because he has just been, he says, Lord, Master, we've been fishing all night and we caught nothing. <laughs> and so you can see the wheels turning in Peter's fisherman's brain. He's thinking, Lord, you're a pretty good teacher, and I know you're a carpenter, but you're not a fisherman. And if there's one thing I know pretty well, myself, it's fishing. And I know, having been on this Sea of Galilee a lot, that you don't catch the fish in the deep water, you catch them in the shallow water, and after fishing all night and being tired and not catching anything, I don't want to go back out there in the heat of the day. So all of this is turning in Peter's mind. As he hesitates, Jesus says, go out into the deep water and put down your nets for a catch, and he's like, oh, I don't think I'm going to do that. But, this is what Peter says, but Jesus, because you say so, I will let down my nets. Now, listen, folks, that is a great lesson for us. Because you say so. That part of you that says, Lord, what you've told me to do in the word doesn't make sense to me. My instincts go against it. My intuition says that's not going to work. But because you say so, I will obey what you're asking. That's a powerful lesson for us. It might go against your instincts to love your enemies. But Jesus says you got to do that. It might be you're struggling as a believer in Jesus with whether or not to be baptized, but Jesus said to do it, so it kind of makes that simple, doesn't it? Because you say so. It might go against your natural instincts to pursue sexual purity or to tithe your income or any number of things, but if the Lord says to do it, you do it. So Peter obeyed, and they pushed out into the deep water, and they let down their nets, and they caught so many fish that their nets began to break. And they even filled another boat so full that the boats were about to sink. And this really impressed Peter because Jesus stepped into his world as a fisherman and showed that Jesus has miraculous power, even in that world that Peter thought he already understood. Now listen, do you realize Jesus knows more about your world than you do? Maybe you're a fisherman. Guess what? He knows more about fishing than you do. Maybe you think you know a lot about computers. Well, guess what? He knows more about computers than you do. Jesus knows more about sports and cars and money and relationships than you do. So the smart thing to do is say, Lord, even though this doesn't make sense to me, because you say so, I will do what you say. And they, it worked out for Peter. There was a great miracle. So many fish that Peter was amazed, and he fell at Jesus' feet, and he said, depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. That's how you feel sometimes when you get close with Christ. You just realize your own unworthiness, and you're like, get away from me, Lord. I don't deserve to be in your presence, but you know what's interesting about that? Jesus didn't go away from him. Jesus spent the next three years right there at Peter's side, because when you realize your own sinfulness and unworthiness, Jesus doesn't push you away. He comes close to you, and he wants you next to him. 
Well, in Matthew 17, there's another fishing story. It's a little miracle that gets overlooked. Matthew chapter 17, Jesus told Peter, throw out your line into the water, and the first fish you catch will have a coin in its mouth. And it'll be a four drachma coin, and it's just the right amount that is needed to pay my temple tax and yours, Jesus said to Peter. Now think about that. That's really a miracle. For me, it's a miracle to catch a fish at all. But to catch a fish that has a coin in its mouth, and to know that ahead of time, that the first fish you catch is going to have a coin in its mouth, and it's going to be a coin that is exactly the right amount to pay a certain fee that you owe, that's an amazing thing. Jesus entered Peter's real-life world and showed him miraculous things. He took a fisherman and made him a fisher of men. He can take your talents and use them to build the kingdom of God. So we know that Peter was a family man, he was a fisherman, and he was a faithful man. We know Peter because he gives voice to some powerful truths about our faith. One time Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And the disciples gave lots of different answers for that, that people were saying about Jesus. But he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter wisely, boldly spoke for the group, and he gave the right answer. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In John chapter 6, Jesus gave a sermon that we call the Sermon on the Bread of Life. It was the day after Jesus miraculously fed 5,000 with the miraculous bread and the fish. And the next day, he explained to the crowd the significance of that miracle of the multiplying of the bread. And he said things like, I am the bread of life. And people struggle with that. What do you mean? He said, even harder things. He said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, this is a spiritual symbol that he was using, but they were struggling with what he meant. And so a lot of the people were offended by that. And they were like, if he's not going to keep giving us more miraculous bread, we're out of here. And so the crowds left. And as people, hundreds of them, maybe thousands of them departed, Jesus looked at the 12 apostles his 12 closest followers, and he said, what about you? Are you going to leave too? And Peter, in that dramatic moment, looked at him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There was no other place to go. There never is. When your world is falling apart and everybody else is walking away, you can still turn to Jesus. So we admire Peter for expressing his faith but you know the main thing I relate to about Peter is he was not only a family man, a fisherman, and a faithful man. You know what else? He was a flawed man. He was a real-life person with a lot of rough edges in his personality. In fact, a word that is often used to describe Simon Peter is this word, impetuous. Impetuous. I looked it up in the dictionary. It means headstrong, hasty, reckless. Just think about how you were in high school. That's how I was. I was impetuous. Well, I can relate to Peter, and maybe you can too, if you've ever spoken too quickly. Did you ever say something, and as soon as the words came out of your mouth, you're like, oh man, why did I say that? Candy and I, my wife Candy and I, were taking a walk. She had just gotten home from her job after three straight night shifts as a nurse. She was wearing an old t-shirt, no makeup. She said, Dave, I'm sorry I look like a slob today. I said, that's okay. <laughs> 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 
Now, some of you are laughing because you totally get why what I said was wrong and really foolish. And the rest of you, especially you guys, are sitting there kind of, what's wrong with that? <laughs> In fact, it took me a while to realize that that probably wasn't the smartest response. I think what my wife, now, now years later, you know, <laughs> on further reflection, I think what my wife really needed me to say was something like, honey, you are beautiful to me and I love you no matter what, it doesn't matter. But uh, you get it. Guess what? I think Simon Peter would have heard what I just said and said, what's wrong with that? <laughs> because he was the kind of guy that would just blurt out whatever came to his mind and it wasn't always right or wise. In fact, sometimes it was downright serious, the things that he would come out with. For example, I just told you that story about in Matthew 16 where Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter had the right response. This great response. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the right response. But then if you keep reading in that passage, Jesus went on to explain what it means for him to be the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to be nailed to a cross. I'm going to be crucified. And when he talked about that, Peter rose up and he said, no, we'll never let that happen to you. And Jesus, imagine telling Jesus what he should or should not do. And Jesus, in turn, rebuked Peter, took him aside and looked him in the eye and said, you're not thinking like God's thinking, you're thinking like the devil thinks. You're thinking about the world's ways. Jesus had to rebuke him because what he said was wrong to go against Jesus dying on the cross, but Peter didn't understand it at first. There's another incident recorded in the Gospels, and Mark chapter 9 is my favorite version of this. It's called the Transfiguration. Jesus took three of his closest disciples, James and John and Simon Peter, and he went up on a high mountain. And when he was up there, Jesus was praying, and the Bible says he was transfigured. That is, it was like God pulled back the curtain for a little while so that you could see the heavenly glory of Jesus. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 9 that Jesus' clothes glowed with a white that was so bright, it was brighter than any launderer could bleach them. So his clothes were just brilliant white. And Moses appeared there. And Elijah appeared there. These great Old Testament figures talking with Jesus about his departure that was soon to take place in Jerusalem. That meant how he was going to die for our sins. The fulfillment of God's plan. And so they're all talking up there, and Peter, and James and John are there, and Peter is just amazed by all this. And, and he blurts out the first thing that comes to his mind, oh, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Let's build three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. It's like he's thinking, hey, you know what? We can just prolong this. We'll just live up here. We'll camp out, you and me and Moses and Elijah. This is going to be great. You know what I love? In, in Mark, this is actually in the Bible. It's a little parenthetical statement, a little parenthesis in Mark chapter 9. You know what it says? It says, he didn't know what he was saying. <laughs> and the reason I like that is because the Peter's the kind of guy, even though he didn't know what it, he was saying, it didn't stop him from saying something. He just said the first thing that came to his mind. That's the kind of guy he was. At the Last Supper, Jesus takes a towel and a basin of water, and he goes around and he starts washing the feet of his disciples in this incredible act of humble service. But when he got to Peter, Peter said, are you gonna wash my feet? No, you'll never wash my feet. Imagine again, telling the Lord what he ought to do. 
And Jesus said, Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Jesus was very direct with him. And Peter then said, well then, Lord, if that's the way it works, don't just wash my feet, but wash my hands and my head as well. Just bathe me all over if that's what you want to do. See, you can relate to Peter if you've ever spoken too quickly. And you can relate to Peter if you've ever acted impulsively. Have you ever stepped out to do something and as soon as you got out there realized, oh boy, I'm in too deep. What have I done? What am I going to do now? This happened to Peter in Matthew chapter 14. He was out on a boat on the Sea of Galilee with his other friends, the other disciples, and a big storm came up, and the wind was blowing, and the rain was pounding down. And they saw a figure walking to them on the water, coming toward them. And Peter cried out, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And so Peter, with bold faith, immediately just steps out of the boat and starts walking on the water toward Jesus. And then the reality hits him of what he has done. Oh, no. He sees the wind and the waves and the wind and the, the rain is, is beating down. And he suddenly is aware of his circumstances. He's like, oh, no. And he begins to sink, and he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached out and pulled him up out of the waves and rescued him, and they got back into the boat. You know, later when you see how loyal Peter was to Jesus, one thing to keep in mind is Jesus had literally saved his life, had saved him from drowning. And we make fun of Peter for that act. Wow, you know, he... <laughs> didn't have the faith to stand up in the storm. Well, guess what? He was the only one of the 12. He's the only person other than Jesus we ever know of who walked on water on this earth. So at least he had the courage to step out of the boat. Give him that. He acted sometimes impulsively. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was getting arrested, John chapter 18 says that they were there with soldiers to take Jesus away, and Peter whipped out a sword like, I'm going to do something to try to protect Jesus. And he takes a swing at the high priest's servant. This guy's name was Malchus, according to the Bible. And evidently, the high priest dodged so that instead of a clean blow against his head, Peter just sliced off the ear of the, of the high priest's servant. And the Bible says, by the way, that Jesus then healed the man's ear, which would really get your attention if you had come to arrest Jesus. He has the ability to heal like, just like that. But my point is, Peter was impulsive. He was a flawed man, but here's the most important point. You can relate to Simon Peter if in spite of your flaws, in spite of the stupid things you've said and the impulsive things you've done, you can relate to Simon Peter if in spite of your flaws you truly love Jesus. That's what drove Peter to act the way he did. He, with all of his imperfections, he loved the Lord. You know, we're awfully quick to criticize Peter and make fun of the way he put his foot in his mouth. He did have a lot of rough spots in his personality, but he also had a deep love for Jesus. And let me tell you, love for Jesus Christ makes up for all kinds of imperfections. Why did Peter try to talk Jesus out of going to the cross? Because he loved Jesus and he didn't want him to suffer like that. Why was it that Peter was reluctant for Jesus to wash his feet? Because he knew that he was the one who should be washing Jesus' feet, not the other way around. Let me tell you something, folks. What does it mean at its root to be a Christian? At its core, it's not just about going to church and all these things. Those are important. But the core of it is love for Jesus. 
Jesus himself said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we love Jesus, even if like Peter, we do some awkward things, we say some things that are regrettable, even if we do those things, love for Jesus has a way of overcoming all that. And love for Jesus is what this church is all about. Connection Point has a big building and a hardworking staff and exciting programs, but it's mainly about Jesus. Leaders change, programs come and go, but Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Your circumstances in your life will change, but Jesus is the same. Connection Point, do you realize, got started in a building made of logs back in 1837, and it's been here all of those years because of Jesus. As Pastor John says, there are still greater things ahead. Because Jesus will be the same a year from now and 10 years from now and 50 years from now. So there are two key lessons that we learn from Simon Peter and both of them have to do with love for Jesus. Here's the first one. Love for Jesus can override even our ugliest failures. Even our ugliest failures. Have you ever done something that you deeply regret? Not just a little thing that you can kind of laugh about and shrug your shoulders and it's done, but something deep that it's like, man, I really messed that up. In Matthew chapter 26, at the Last Supper, Jesus began to explain once again about the circumstances leading up to the cross and what was going to happen to him as he was betrayed. And he said, everybody's going to forsake me flee and leave me. And Peter, once again, immediately spoke up and said, no, 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 no. I will never, I will never forsake you. Others might, but not me. I will die before I will forsake you. And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, before this night is over, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's like, no, I would never do that. And then things went on. Jesus was arrested in the garden and they took him for part of his trial to the house of a high priest named Caiaphas. And Peter sat out in the courtyard around a fire. And people questioned him. They said, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? And Peter said, no, 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 I'm not. A little servant girl said, yes, you are. I know you are. I've heard you. I've heard you talk. And you sound like somebody from Galilee. So you're one of those followers of Jesus. He said, no, I'm not. And the Bible says he even cursed and said, no, I deny it, I am not one of his followers. And three times that night, he refused to be identified as a follower of Jesus Christ. I've been to Jerusalem several times, and you can go to that very courtyard. You can go, they've identified the house of Caiaphas, and you can go there, and you can stand in that courtyard. It brings tears to my eyes every time I've been there because I take my Bible and I read that passage about Peter in that very place, denying Jesus. And you can look across the valley, and there's the Mount of Olives, and there's the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus had gone with his disciples and prayed. And you can go in the house of Caiaphas, and down in the basement, there's a dungeon, a cellar, a holding cell. And it is thought, it's likely that that's one of the places where they held Jesus during the night of his trial. And your heart breaks as you realize what Jesus went through, but also to realize the anguish that Peter must have felt as one of Jesus' closest disciples, his closest trusted friend, one who had said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, the one who had said, Lord, to whom shall we go? The one who had said, if everybody else forsakes you, not me, 
And yet he denies Jesus, not just once, but then he does it again and again. Have you ever done something that you're ashamed of? Every time you think of it, you just wince inside. And you didn't just do it once, you did it again. And you did it again. Well, in Luke chapter 22, there is a beautiful little passage. It's only written here in the Gospels. Jesus turned to Peter and he said at the Last Supper, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew what was going on. He was saying to him, Peter, I know you're going to blow it, but I am pulling for you. I am praying for you. And when you mess up, that is not the end of your story. When you come back, and you will, strengthen your brothers, strengthen your sisters. Your story is going to inspire other people to be faithful too when they have messed up. Somebody summed it up this way. Peter went out and wept bitterly, and then he came back and lived differently. That's real repentance. He was really, really sorry for what he did, but then he came back, and with the power of God enabling him, he lived in a different way. That brings us to our other application point here. Love for Jesus should be our deepest motivation, our driving motivation, the thing that drives us. You see, if Peter were here today, he'd probably be embarrassed that we're preaching a whole sermon about him as a hero because all he wanted to do was point to Jesus as the supreme hero. If you have ever let Jesus down, remember the same guy who denied Jesus three times later preached in Acts chapter 2 and he concluded his message by boldly telling a crowd of thousands, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. And that day 3,000 people repented and were baptized into Christ. Later, Peter wrote two books of the New Testament. And the focus in these books is on Jesus. If you have ever struggled to understand how God could love you, remember the same guy who tried to talk Jesus out of going to the cross eventually wrote, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. If you have ever lacked courage when somebody challenges you to defend your Christian faith, Remember, the same guy who in the past had wilted when others questioned him later wrote in 1 Peter 3.15, always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. If you have ever felt discouraged and beaten down and confused and despairing, remember that the same guy who felt hopeless when Jesus died, who was confused when he heard a message coming back from some women who claimed that they had been to Jesus' tomb and it was empty and who raced his friend John to the tomb to see what was going on. He became so convinced that Jesus was risen from the dead that he wrote in 1 Peter 1.3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If you ever struggle with pride, Remember that the same guy who refused to let Jesus wash his feet later wrote, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Peter had many struggles, many weaknesses, but his love for Jesus was the main thing that defined his life. 
And so at the end of John's gospel, John chapter 21, Jesus had a question for Peter, and it's a question that he asks us as well. Here is that question. Do you love me? That's what Jesus is asking today. Do you love me? Let me tell you this story real quick. It's another fish story. John 21, after Jesus rose from the dead, his disciples went fishing again. And again, they caught nothing. Seems like a common problem that they had. Jesus was on the shore and he called to them and he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. And they did, and when they did, they caught some fish. And I love this detail because John, who wrote John chapter 21, was a fisherman too. And he included the kind of details that fishermen would say. He said, we caught 153 large fish. So he knew exactly how many there were, they had counted them, and he knew their size, and they weren't little, they were big. But he says, even with that many, the nets were not torn. And so Peter's amazed by this catch, and he realizes the guy on shore, I think that's Jesus. And so this is typical Simon Peter. He dives into the water, and he swims to shore. And when he gets there, he finds that Peter is going to be dining at a table that Jesus has prepared. Jesus has cooked fish for them, and he's got breakfast cooked for his disciples, so they, they eat breakfast. Now, don't you think he's still, Peter is still feeling bad about what he did, that that's just nagging him? He feels so guilty. He had denied Jesus three times, so guess what? Jesus three times asked him to reaffirm his love. Jesus looked him in the eye and said, Peter, Simon, do you love me more than these? Now, people say, what does he mean, more than these? Well, more than these other men do, more than you love your friends, more than you love fishing on this lake, more than you love living here and the lifestyle and the livelihood you have as a fisherman. I don't know what. Maybe it encompasses all of that. Do you love me more than these? And Peter said, of course, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, again, do you love me? Do you love me? Peter had denied Jesus three times around a fire and Jesus asked him three times around a fire to reaffirm his love. And Jesus said, each time he said, yes, you know that I love you. It's hurting my feelings, Jesus, that you're asking me this over and over. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, then feed my sheep, tend my lambs. You know what, folks? We need to hear that message, feed my sheep, because right now there's a lot of tension in our culture, in our society. Maybe you get mad when you see the news and you hear things that people are saying and doing. You know what? People get cranky when they're hungry. <laughs> you know, I know I do. I get cranky when I'm hungry. And you know what? A lot of the tension and anxiety and crankiness in our culture, whether people realize it or not, this is my opinion, it's because they're hungry for God's grace and they're hungry for God's truth and they're hungry for somebody to love them and show them the love of God. And so I need to not just be mad and yell at people, I need to feed them. If you love Jesus, feed his sheep. And so they had this conversation there by the fire. And then things turned a little dark because Jesus said to Peter, someday, Peter, I'm paraphrasing this, but you can read it in John 21. He said, someday, somebody's going to come and bind you and take you where you don't want to go. And it was a prediction, an ominous one, of how Peter was going to die. History tells us, tradition tells us, not the Bible, but tradition says that Peter eventually died by being crucified, but he insisted on being crucified upside down because he did not feel deserving to die exactly the same way Jesus did, and so he had them turn his body upside down on the cross. 
kind of be ominous to have that hanging over your life that Jesus had said, someday somebody's going to bind you and take you where you don't want to go. But this is classic Simon Peter. The last recorded words of Simon Peter in the four Gospels, <laughs> he saw, after Jesus said this, he sees his friend John sitting over there next to Jesus, and he says, Peter, his last recorded words are, well, what about him? <laughs> Isn't that classic Simon Peter? It's like, well, you told me this about me. Okay, I can handle that. But what about him? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus just directly said, basically, don't worry about him. If I want him to live for a long time, that's okay. It's just you follow me. Classic last words recorded there from Peter, except they weren't really his last words because he wrote those letters. And he had some other good last words. So did my mom. About a year ago, I was over on this side of town having lunch with a friend from here at Connection Point. And I got a text from my brother saying my mom had had a stroke. And my wife, Candy, and I got in a car and we drove quickly to Columbus, Ohio to be with my mom. And we stayed in the hospital room with her a couple of nights. And then the doctors came in on the next day and they said, right in front of my mom, you know, she's not going to make it. And when they left the room, I went over to my mother. She could barely talk. She really couldn't talk. I knelt down by her bed and I said, Mother, that's what we called her, did you hear what they said? And she nodded. I said, You know, that means very soon you're going to go to be with Jesus. And she nodded. And I said, Are you okay with that? And she nodded. And then they were preparing to move her to another place, and Candy and I needed to to go and give them some space. And so we were getting ready to say goodbye. And before we walked out of the room, my mom looked up from the bed, straight at my wife and me, and with all the strength she could muster in a raspy but clear voice, she said, thank you. And those were the last words I ever heard my mom say. It said about, a lot about what was in her heart that she had a grateful spirit and a love for Jesus and all the things my mom went through in her 89 years of life, it could all be summed up by just, thank you, Jesus, I love you. What will be the last things that will come out of your mouth before you die? Peter wrote two letters, and at the end of his second one and his last one, he has a last thing to say, and these are the last written words from Peter. Encouragement to all of us. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. That is the goal of an everyday hero. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you, and we have failed you. Thank you, God, for your grace and forgiveness and mercy, for your willingness, Lord, to use flawed but devoted followers like Simon Peter to accomplish your work in this world. Thank you, God, for speaking truth to us from your word that reminds us 
in our times of great failure and shame that you're not finished with us yet. Lord, I pray specifically for those who have heard this message who have been feeling overwhelmed by guilt and shame, that you would help them, Lord, to remember that wonderful verse in the Bible that says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and new things have come. And that scripture in the Old Testament that says your mercies are new every morning. Thank you, God, for your amazing love and grace. Help us, Lord, to follow you for the rest of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name.